And I sit there and think, like, this lady told me, looked at me and said, you don't belong here. Like, out of nowhere, like she, like, she was an angel. Like, literally, like, she was a guardian angel and said, you don't belong here. Mm. You know, and, and I said, I, and I never forget it. Oh, God, like, he's working. family, it's Jay Morrison, and welcome to another episode of How to Beat the Trap. And I got my brother, neighborhood hero, in real life, a real man's man, yes, sir. the king of my son, New York General, my son! What's going on? Peace. I'm well, man. Thank you. I'm blessed. Yes. Welcome to the trap. Well, well, listen, man. I ain't been here. No, I ain't been in the trap in a while. So, <laughs> you know, it, it feels a little different. To be here. Right. So, look. Uh, what we're gonna be doing in this, this podcast interview is we bring on uh, influential people, amazing people, overachievers who've been able to beat or leverage or supersede some of America's most infamous traps. Mm-hmm. Right. We cover your journey, successes, trials, um, and how some of us have beat the corner trap, the culture trap, the college trap, or the corporate trap. Some of us, all the traps, right? Mm-hmm. So we're tackling that today. And a trap is defined, King Mice, as a program or system designed to entice and entangle you, but secretly for the benefit of another, right? Mm. So we're going to talk about how these systems entice, wrap us in, entangle us, but it's secretly for the benefit of the system, right? The programs, the corporations, et cetera. So what we're going to do is we're going to drive up to the trap, and we're going to talk about who King Mison is today. And then we're going to back that thing up, reverse engineer, and talk about where you started and your journey okay. moving forward. So this is the alley you. I know you're humble. You don't do too much flexing, although you do major work. But I, I'm going to push you in this to talk your talk about oh, what, who you are today, uh, what you've done to date, mm-hmm. and what's your, your, your vision um, you know, moving forward, mission moving forward. Well, um, today I am a artist and an activist. Okay. Um, slash civil rights activist, leader. Certainly a leader. Founder, co-founder of the organization Until Freedom. I'm founder of Raising Kings. Founder of Initiative of Boycott Black Murder. Um, King Stop Killing King. So, you know, um, today... I, I utilize, which we will get into, my past, my experience, um, just everything that I've been through to um, try to pay it forward, try mm-hmm. to change the narrative, you know, because I realized in my past there was a narrative that was given to me. There was something that was sold to me that I brought. Mm. And it, it made me make a lot of mistakes. It put me in positions that I could have avoided had I just been, had somebody like myself. You know, unfortunately, my father passed when I was young. So, you know, I didn't have the same level of guidance that I would want. And and the, the, the people who were influencing me were influenced by the same thing that was I was influenced by. Mm. So they were, even though they were good people, honorable people, they just found out how to do the wrong things right. Wow. You know, so... <laughs> did the wrong things they really did good. the wrong things really good. <laughs> and they taught me how to do those things. So to here today, understanding... You know, where I've come from, understanding if I had the same knowledge with the same drive and the same skill set, the same born, everything that I have, where I could have been. Mm. You know, what I should have been doing and what I could have been doing with that same energy. You know, so now today, you know, the organizations I found, you know, basically just 
being just against injustice is w- one of my major things. I've always found myself to be like the bully, the bully meter. You know what I'm right, saying? Right, right, right. I was in cool school, always took up for the kids who was getting bullied. So the civil rights work that I do, you know, fighting against injustices, you know, cases like Breonna Taylor, you know, George Floyd, um, Eric Gardner, um, you know, countless, countless cases. You know, I find myself wanting to get justice for them. Mm. Feeling like it's my my duty to. Feeling like really just embracing it and taking it on, you know, the responsibility to see that these people who lost their lives, you know, didn't lose it in vain. You know, mm. that somebody's held accountable. And um, that's why I am one of the co-founders of Until Freedom. So that was my goal there. You know, when I sat back, came through different organizations, started out, in Harry Balafonte's organization, the Gathering for Justice, which morphed into a more rapid response organization called the Justice League, mm-hmm. in which, you know, we decided to, we would immediate response to everything that was going on. You know, we called rallies, we called marches, we we did protests, we did everything. We marched from New York to D.C. So those were... That was amazing. That was the major things that we did. And then just saying to myself, you know, we finding a core group of people that I worked with along the way and saying to myself, you know, I think it's time for us to create our own, Mm. you know, to really create something that we, that looks like what it is that we envision. You know, we, we, we got a part of different organizations that already had their center. They had the vision for it. Right. We, we fed into somebody else's vision and they were dope and they, you know, and they pretty much gave us the knowledge and everything that we got to get to this point. But I said to myself, I, I feel like the culture where it is now, the mindset, what I represent, where I come from, isn't really represented inside, you know, these um, organizations. And it's not a bad thing. It's just that I feel like it was time for something <coughs> new. You know, right, so, and you bring something unique and new to the table. Yeah, so, right? so it's not so much either or, it's in addition to. Yeah, exactly, and that's what you do. You, you, we're supposed to stand on the shoulders of our elders. We take what they've given us, and we take it to the next level. We can't just stay there in that same place. So, you know, that's what we wanted to do with Until Freedom. And um, so that's, that's how that was created. Um, King Stop Killing Kings was initial. I mean, well, Raising Kings was an initiative just being a father. Mm. You know, um, my oldest son is 23 years old, you know. How many sons you got? I have three sons. I have a 23-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a 7-year-old. And that was the initiative, just understanding that we're raising kings, literally, you know, and and making them identify themselves as kings, making Mm. them see themselves as valuable. A lot of times, you know, especially the narrative that we see in society, it doesn't make us show us as our true selves. It doesn't make us feel like we're powerful, like we can accomplish anything. Mm. You know, and if and I wanted to reinforce that in not only my kids, but all of the kids, especially young black and brown kids in our communities, because we we a lot of times we don't see ourselves outside of the trap, as you said. Mm. Because we've been taught that's the only way to success. Like I tell people all the time, my first vision of a success was a drug deal. He had everything I wanted. He had the cars I wanted, the girls I wanted, the clothes I wanted, the respect I wanted. You know, he did all things. That was the first vision I ever... I didn't live next door to a lawyer, doctor, right. a business owner. I never seen any of that. So my first aspiration was to try to emulate that. You know, so I said to myself, 
why can't we be doing something that's positive, that's legal, and have that same effect on our communities? Mm. You know, so that's what um, Raising Kings was. That initiative was just giving, retraining the narrative and giving these young boys a real right to passage, what manhood really looks like. You know, we've been, in this society, we've been defined by what we have, you know, what we don't have, what we look like, what, what we possess. And I and I wanted our young men to realize that's not what makes you a man. Mm. You know, it's the things that's in you, not what's on you, that makes you a man. You know, so that's what Raising Kings was. That what initiative. is it in you as a man that makes you a man? What, 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 yeah, what in For you? For me, I think it's integrity. I think it's moral compass. I think it's character. I think it's, it's certain things about you that allows you to shine without trying to. You know, I think when, when when your character speaks for itself, when you're a man of good nature and good heart and, and, and want to do the right things and carry yourself with a level of honor and integrity, I think that's what manhood is. I think everything else comes, follows that. You know, when, when, when you, you know, even in the hood, when you, when you're in the hood, the first thing they recognize is the strength that you have, right? And then they, and what they, people do is they utilize it for something else. They recognize all the skill sets. They recognize all of those things. Even the honor the honor that you have is celebrated. Even in the, the, the biggest criminal, his honor is celebrated, right? So when, and, and you, what we realize is most of these quote-unquote criminals and, and drug dealers or whatever, when they're given a different opportunity to shine and they, they have another alternative, you know, they do that. You know, yourself is an example of that. You right. know, you utilized the skill. You had to be in the street and, and you played the game in the street, but that's not where you morally was. Nobody, none of us want to be in the streets hustling. None of us want to run from police and put our, our lives in jeopardy. So I always say that you find someone in the street that has a level of respect and he usually has a level of honor that if you give him a different alternative and you show him something different, mm. then it can be utilized for something different. You know, even when you talk about the shooters in the street, we we celebrate the shooters in the army. You know, they right, right. They, they shoot us for real. They shoot us for real. Snipers. They get purple hearts. <laughs> they get all those things. So if you redirect that same energy to something else, it's going to be set. These are the generals that are in the army, right? So if we put these young kids in those same predicaments, you know, the level of respect and honor that they have will flourish in a different manner. So that's what I did with raising kings, you know. And then I started the initiative off of that. King Stop Killing Kings just based on what happened to Nipsey Hussle. You know, when, when I when I seen he was somebody that I respected. Man. Yeah, rest in power. You know, he was somebody that I really respected and we, and we build and we was saying we was going to do a lot of things together. We never actually got to do it, but just the way they carried itself just remind me of the, the same moral compass that I have. You know, we was on the same wavelength. It's very uh-huh. rarely that you find people that have that wavelength that that's, don't have no problem going against the status quo. Yeah. And saying, nah, that's not what it is. We're going to do it this way. And we're going to redefine it. And we still cool. And we still G and we all of that. But we don't got it. We ain't going to celebrate it this way. We're going to do it this way. I'm going to show you how to do something different. It's very real, especially from our culture, that you see people that have that type of energy. And that's the energy that I've always been on, not trying to follow the crowd and trying to, to, to redefine things <clears throat> and do things that go with my more, that make me feel morally comfortable, that I can sleep at night. Right. You know, so... I created that initiative, and it's just about building and just us saying to ourselves that I can't kill you. Now I don't, I don't want to. I can't because you're my brother. I'm not. 
I'm not here to hurt my brother. I want to build. I understand you're dealing with the same trauma and pains that I've been dealing with my whole life. So right. you're not my op. We all family. So when right. we start to train the mind, when you see somebody as your brother, you can't kill them. When you really vision and say, yo, this is another me. This is the second mm -hmm. version of me. This is a whole nother version of me. Even if we don't agree, I don't want to take your life from you. Right. You understand what I'm saying? So that's the mind state I wanted to do with King Stop Killing Kings. And then now the new initiative, Boycott Black Murder, is just elevating that. Like now it's not even King Stop. It's we're boycotting. <laughs> we're not even allowing it. Right. In our communities, what's, it's celebrated and it's incentivized for us to kill each other. We're not allowing that no more. Anybody who celebrates that and incentivizes that is the op. That's mm. the op. You know what I'm saying? Gangster is when you can stop somebody from shooting somebody. Mm. Anybody, any coward with a gun and anything can shoot somebody. But when you gangster and you have real respect, you can walk up to somebody and say, bro, that's not what we're doing here. And they respect you enough that even at that rage and anger, that they're going to say, you know what, out of respect for that man, I'm not going to do that. And then it starts to trickle down out of respect for myself. And then we start to, and we start to retrain the narrative. So, you know, those are things that I've been able to do going into different colleges and even high schools, having curriculums, writing books. You know, I wrote a children's book. Right. And I'm working on the second one. That. The second one is about to be out too, and it's called um, Raising Kings. And it's about what I call the 13 principles of manhood, just raising young boys mm. and instilling in them what this is what manhood looks like. You know, and it, breaking down <clears throat> what integrity is, breaking down what honor is, breaking down those things in the simplest form so that our young kings can grab that and hold on to it. You know, I have mantras that I tell my sons every day. I say, you're a king and you're chasing greatness. You know, and if you can't control yourself, then you can't control anything. Mm. And they say that every morning Trap before bar. they go to school. You know, and, and that's, that's one of the mantras I want our kings to start to say to themselves. Because when you say things... They become things. Words, right. words are the most powerful. I don't care what nobody tells you. You can talk about people, strong money. If you look at the most powerful people in the world, it's because they utilize words. Mm. Words are the most, the strongest things in the world. Right. You know, our leaders, every leader in we In the had, beginning was the word. <laughs> that's it. The Bible is words. You know what I'm saying? I was, Shakespeare, I was, words. Everything is just words. MLK so, speeches, MLK words. speeches, Farrakhan speeches, words. So Rappers, Jay-Z, words. Words. They control the world. I don't care what everybody... You can have the smallest person. If he can speak eloquently and he can he can grab the minds of somebody who's paying attention, he can grasp that he is... That is the ruler. So words actually rule everything. So, mm. you know, and, and that's what I realized. Another I, trap bar. <laughs> I, I realized that. So I want to utilize my words to pour in to our kings. Hey, Peace fam, let's pause real quick for the special announcement. Our brother, the King My Song, this is my brother from another real man in real life, is co-founder of Until Freedom, and not only dropped trap gins, became vulnerable, got raw with us, but you see him fighting on the front line for kings, building kings, and kings to stop uh, killing kings. If you want to join my song's movement and Until Freedom movement, make sure you guys tap into Until Freedom and follow our brother, right? This is someone that I vouch for because I've actually put blood, sweat, and tears in shoulder to shoulder with him in real life and watch his love and commitment to our community. That's right. So make sure you guys look up and join Until Freedom in real life and now back to our regularly scheduled program. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, so obviously we connect on so many levels because we have that same moral compass. Uh, one, I love the going against the bully. It's like, now nah, we're going against the biggest bully. Like, yeah. now nah, you ain't going to bully our people, not That's on my watch. Right. That's right. Right? So that, that energy, um, the energy of um, 
just, again, loving ourselves, loving our brothers, um, also standing up for our community and inspired by our children. So for me, I got three daughters. Mm. So it means as much to me to still help men because you need to make sure that they... I, I got to have some strong men out here <laughs> exactly. to, 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 to... take to, care of your queens. Yeah. Exactly, right? And so I'd love to definitely bring in the children's book to Big Brother Anonymous that we do here at the Legacy Center. Um, where we have a right to passage program for young men that we're doing and building, partnered with the Obama Foundation and My Brother's Keeper Alliance and just our own vision to just um, pour back into our men. So we do definitely collab more on that. But I love the piece um, you said, and the way I kind of said it was uh, the mantra you gave your son is that uh, when you said, um, which is a trap bar, that if you can't control yourself, you can't control anything. That's a fact. And I, I found that too many black men profess gangsterism and thorough and all that, but don't have dominion over their emotions. Emotions. You don't. You you can, you go out of control. How do you get out of control? That means you. If, if somebody can dictate the way you act, then you don't. Then they control you. You're a remote control. You're a crash dummy. If I know I can say this and make you do this, then who ultimately is Bro, that's a chess move. Like, yo, I'm going to say this, push his button, and watch him go off. Dummy. Yeah. It's, it's a process, though, because... Yes. Because, you know, especially when we're men, and men, we have ego, we have pride, we have all these things. Right. So when you're saying things that goes, that insults me, you know, and in that manner, and you put it into the universe, immediately, your immediately reaction is like, what? to defend it and try to, you know, but then you just have to realize, especially in this day and age when we live in social media, that anybody can say anything. And if, and if you fall into that, you'll be arguing with everybody right. forever. Like, I used to be on the comments, like, what, I ain't do that? And then I started saying... Bro, look at you. I said, why do I care? Like, for, and then I wrote it on Instagram. For me to care about what you think about me, first I have to care about you. I have to care about what you think, first of all. Right. If, if you're a person that holds no real value to me or anything and you have an opinion of me, that's your personal thing. It ain't even for me. That's you. No matter how negative it is. You understand what I'm saying? So we, we all have to grow in that regard, especially as men. We, you know, we, we feed into that a lot. Right. You know, a lot. Because you think about it, before the internet, somebody could feel some kind of way about you, like say 10 years ago, 20 years ago, they could have felt some way about a rapper or somebody. Instead to themselves at home, they mm -hmm. still feel that way about the yeah. rapper. Oh, he a sucker. He should have did this. He should have did that. But you just didn't read it. Just didn't hear it. So it didn't affect you. So now, because somebody could make a fake account or a real account or whatever and type it, wow. But you, you, to your point, words have power. They do. But we gotta understand that and be and, and be in more a dominion enough to be like, yo, I'm not gonna let you weaponize those words against me. Against me. And the thing is, your words have power along with your actions, right? So when you're a person like yourself, you say you got to outwork the work, right? Mm -hmm. So when you have the words to go along with the actions and That's they just have the power. words, then it's just like, you're just wasting your time. I don't even have to, I don't have to dispute, like, I'm the a main person that does this is Jay-Z. Like, Jay-Z gets, I'll be watching people just go online and just say whatever they want about Jay, and Jay never responds. Like it took, but it took him a process because you know, being a rapper, that was the thing. You go back and forth. You know, he had classic battles, but in this time and age, and he's constantly doing things, pushing the culture forward. Like they go, oh, Jay Z, that this wasn't and that. enough. That ain't enough. Oh, he did this and that, and he's constantly doing things to win it. So it's like when you can, when you can listen to somebody try to tell you how Jay Z is losing and doing this and that, then you know. If they talking about this man who just became a billionaire, who I've watched, you know, fund the movement, I've watched him 
do things behind the scenes that he don't even need credit for. I watched him constantly push, you know, the culture forward and make strides to be able to get you in rooms that you never was in before and make power plays. Power plays that say, damn, I can do that. Jay just did it, right? So if I watch you talk about that man and, and, and try to diminish him, I know what you're saying about me. And then I have to realize, and then when I watch That's that, just you. it's just you. Then I watch how he doesn't respond to it and continues to continue to push it forward. Then I have to say, that this is what comes with it, you know? Mm. And that's when you when that's you arrive, you arrived when people want to tear you down because they see an energy in you and they see strength in you that that shows their own weakness. Mm. Right? Because they watch you continue to go through things where they would have failed, where they would have said, you right. know what, I'ma give up. I don't got the energy to do that. And you continue to push past that. And they're like, why he just won't die? Because right. I would have been dead already. I'm going to call him every name because I want him to die. And every time you don't and you come back with a smile, it exposes how weak they are. Right. You know, and that's all it is. So I can't allow somebody who's weak to try to push their you weakness. Already know, I already know you're weak. I forgot who it was. Somebody on our um, a podcast said uh, uh, issue. Somebody got an issue with you. The word issue is ish you. It's you. Oh, that's a that's a Your that's issue a issue with me. It's you. It's you. <laughs> it ain't me. It ain't me. It's, it's you. That's a fact. I like that one. Uh, so anyway, uh, King Mice, boom. All right. So you um, certainly, hands down, are a leader. Um, you've used. Your talents, your gifts, your experiences to help move our culture forward. I commend you. You know that. Yes, Support sir. you. Love you. That's why. Um, let's back this thing up a little bit. Verse engineer out the trap. Mm -hmm. And where did you start? Where did my song grow up? What was growing up like? Um, grew up in hybrid section of the Bronx. Um, it was a lot, man. You know, um, my father OD when I was 11 years old. I found him dead in my house from heroin. Wow. Um, shortly after that. My mother was addicted to crack cocaine. So my whole childhood was just after the age of eight. You know, I went from having these parents that were young, vibrant, who my father was going to computer school. My mother was, you know, a secretary to just watching life just change, you know? Mm. And it was just me and my little sister. And, you know, as I watched them disappear and see my mother not home a lot of times after my, I lost my father, you know, Fortunately, unfortunately, I gravitated more to the streets and, and looked in that area for some level of guidance and instruction and just trying to survive because me and my little sister was home. So let me ask you, I want to ask you something real quick. Um, so at 11 years old, your pops, rest in power, passed away. ODs on, on heroin. And I grew up with the, the man who raised me. I called my father, not biological, still was my father. Um, had a lifelong heroin addiction. Mm -hmm. What was um, your emotional state, your mind state like, you know, and you found your pops, like, um, how did you deal with that then? And what was your mind state as, a, as an 11 year old young man? It was, it was a tough one. Um, I think, you know, because the whole situation, the way my father died was, I, d I knew he passed away before I seen him. Mm. You know, how's um, that? My mother and father were separated, so we were staying in my grandmother's house. And my father was supposed to take me school shopping, you know, the, um, a day, two days before that. On a Saturday, I called him. He didn't answer the phone. And then Sunday night, I called him. He didn't answer the phone. And I remember just sitting in my grandmother's house and just breaking down crying, mm. you know, just in tears. And my mother was like, what's wrong? <clears throat> Something's wrong with my father. Like, I just felt like I felt 
it wasn't that he just wasn't answering calls. Like, nah, something is wrong. You know, like it's just something wrong. I, I know it's something wrong. And um, I went to school the next day, and I remember I was sitting in school, and I was just nervous the whole day. Like, mm-hmm. and I was sitting. I just kept watching the door, cause I knew my mother was coming to the door to tell me that my father passed away. Like, I literally knew it the whole wow. day. I'm looking at the door, and I remember having a conversation with one of my friends. And he was like, what's the matter? I was like, I just, I think my father's dead. Like, I literally said this before. And then next thing I know, I look at him at the door. And my mother walks to the door. And she's talking to my teacher. And I already knew. So I had cried the whole day before. But at that point, I was already prepared. I just got chills. So when she came to the door and said it to me, I said, I know. No, and then I went to the house. And she was, she, you know, the... They was waiting for the coroner and the police to come. And I was standing in the hallway. And my mother, and I had to use the bathroom. She was like, I was like, I want to go in the bathroom. She was like, no, no. I said, I want to see him. Mm. And she just looked at me. And I was and I was just, I wasn't crying. I was like, I, I, can, I can do it. You know, and I could do it. And I walked by and I just remember he was sitting on this couch. And his body had metamorphosized because he had been dead for like two days already. And his eyes were bulging. He was laying back in this little love seat. And I walked by and went to the bathroom. And I was just talking to him like, I'm going to take care of us. You know, I was like, I'm going to take care of us, daddy. Like, you told me to. I got us. Mm. You know, and, and I walked out. And I didn't cry at the funeral. Like, the day before that night, though, when I said I cried, I cried all night. Mm. So I, like, all of that got out. And it was now it was time because my father always said, when you're not, when I'm not here, you're the man in this house. And I'm not here, you the man in this house. And um, and I, I assumed that role, you know, immediately stepped into that role. So. Mm. And how do you think that played into how you approached life after that, going through? I mean, it was a lot. Teenage I don't even, I didn't even realize what trauma or none of that was. You know, until recently, just starting to pay attention to mental health. I didn't realize the levels of trauma and things that I dealt with. Like my mother and father being addicted to drugs, they had an abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, my father was like the best, coolest person in the world. And I never knew that he was addicted to heroin until he died. You know, mm-hmm. I never knew he was on heroin. I used to just see him drink and then he used to act a little crazy and, he, and they would get into fights and they would break away and police would come and I have to break it up. And I was like the only person my father would listen to. Mm-hmm. Like, nobody else can stop him from doing nothing. Me, I'd be like, Daddy, just talk to me. He'd take me outside. I'd take him outside, walk. We'd walk, and he'd just calm down. He would just listen to me all the time. No, I don't care. Anybody else could not get to him at all. But me, he would always... Why do so you think had, that? I don't know. I don't know what it is. Maybe he just saw himself in me. Maybe, you know, I was his only son. I don't, I don't know exactly what it was. But I know we just had a bond that was different. So him leaving, you know, just had me in a whole different mind frame, man. It's like, mm. I have to be the strong strength. I have to always show strength. I have to, because I never really saw my father weak. Mm. I never seen him cry. I never seen him weak. I never seen any of those things. So, you know, I remember, I remember, you know, my father got locked up for one of his friends. He was chilling with one of his friends. His friends had some drugs or something in the bag and they pulled them over and grabbed both of them. My father was a career criminal. He had hustle. He did all type of stuff his whole life. So he got locked up for him. And I remember him calling home and my mother like, you got to come home. 
you need to tell him who Stefan was. And he was like, I'm not doing that. And he was like, I'm not going to do that. And for eight months, he sat up on Rikers Island. My mother cursed him out every day. You leaving your family? He said, no, I'm not leaving. I know what it is that I signed up for. I've been in these streets my whole life, and that's just something I'm not going to do. As a man, whatever comes with it. And unfortunately, they dropped the case. Mm. But I remember him having that stance. I remember him just being, then coming home and doing a lot of things for us. But I just, certain things like that, that always stuck in my mind. You know, despite whatever it was, he was not going to compromise who he was. Mm. You know, so I never saw my father weak, so I never wanted to be weak. Mm. And that really explains how we started this podcast with you talking about boycott and black murder, going up against the system, kings stop killing kings, building young kings, mm-hmm. until freedom, going against the biggest systems and white supremacy and, and, and oppression and all that. And just your uh, affinity um, and example of, of strong manhood. Like, that, that speaks to exactly what you saw you are, are replicating in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, so, as a, you know, it's great to kind of tie that in. And so now you were going through the streets, right, or attracted to the streets at this time. You, are you, you go, went to high school, graduated? I didn't. I did graduate. I graduated late, but I did graduate high school. Okay. I, I made my way through. All right. Yeah. Now, in high school, were you aspiring to have some corporate career? Go to college. I wanted to be a basketball player in high school. In high school, I was on the basketball team. I was really good in basketball, um, you know, and that was what I wanted to do. And then I just started to wave more towards the streets and girls, stop my vision, like, through, from junior high school all the way to, like, my junior, my senior year in high school, I was playing ball, and then it just started to waver. Mm. A little. And I remember I got into a big argument with my, my high school coach. Because, you know, oh, you want to hang with these girls all day and you're not coming to practice. And he said, you know what? Don't come back to this team until you're ready to do this. And I'm like, I don't need this team. And I walked out and I was probably like one of the worst things I regret. Mm. You know, and I walked out the team. And that year, my my high school team went to the championship. We played against Stephon Marbury and them beat them in the championship. For the ring and everything, and I and I and I always regretted that, you know. And then I just went further more into the streets, you know, a lot more into the streets. And then that's when I started, you know, I started rapping. But gotcha. when I was in high school, I I always I was studying law. Mm. When I was in high school, I was a lawyer. I was studying. I went to um, Martin Luther King High School, and I had went to the law program. And then when I graduated, I took two. I took a year off, and I went to John Jay College for like two semesters, but. I didn't go back. Gotcha. What so, intrigued you about law in high school? Because I always wanted, I wanted to be a defense attorney. Mm. It, it was always been the same <laughs> thing. Like, I always wanted... You, bully. I want you. You know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I wanted to defend people. I just wanted to protect people. Like, you know, every time we used to do mock trials, I used to write the closing arguments for our defense attorney. I was told why they was innocent. That's I dope. always wanted to prove people in. I never wanted to see people go... Locked up. I always was just against injustice. Gotcha. You know, that was always who I was. So when you say um, in the streets, you talk about selling drugs, you talk about... Selling drugs, robberies, you know, you name it, we did it. Gotcha. What was your, What was the first time you remember being outside? First time I remember being outside. Like, like an actual transaction or you hitting I mean, or... I was, we was, when I, I was, I was, we was doing robberies since I was like 13 and 14. Like we used to do, we used to go to 42nd Street, right? And 
first first thing we used to do was we robbed video games. So we would go to the the big, you know, the big arcade. Mm-hmm. And my friend, God bless the dead Virgil, knew how to break open all the games. Mm. So at 13 and 14, we would go into the, the um games and we would, he knew how to pop in the back of them. Well, he had, we had all had briefcase on the <laughs> book bags. And it was thousands of dollars in each of these games. So he knew how, first he knew how to click the game. What do we call a clicking the game? Where he would give you 100 credits. So he would make sure one of us was playing. He knew how to get in and he taught us how to do it. Or one of us would be playing and then the other one would go in the back. And why it was making a noise, because you had to pop certain little, it was a box, you had to pop the box and break in the box. And we were banging on the game, like, it's messing up. Oh, man, come on. We crammed. We all surround the game. Be like six or seven of us right. surrounding it. And he's in Diver- Diversion tactics. You know what I'm saying? It, it, Diversion tactics. And we would go and we would do about four or five games a day until mm-hmm. they start getting up on us. And then sometimes we would be certain places. We'll see somebody with a chain or something. I was always the smallest and youngest. So I would walk by and, like, bump into them. And they'd be like, yo, what's going on? And then he'll come from behind. And my man Chris would... Throw him in a yoke, and we take the chain and watch, and we run, you know. So that was that was that was hustle since I was 13 years old. Outside, outside, <laughs> you know. Gotcha. Or sometimes we would pull guns on them. It was it was different things. So, gotcha. So you're doing that while going to law school in high school. So you're hitting licks and learn how to defend law, playing ball, getting into girls. Get out of high school, John Jay College, couple years. Um, why didn't you stay in the college route? Um, I don't know. I just I was going to college, and then um, when I I didn't I started hustling in college. Mm-hmm. You know, like I started hustling. I didn't I didn't sell drugs because I was so anti drugs based on my father. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't I didn't want to sell drugs. I didn't want to, and my mother being addicted, I didn't want like it was something that was so my best friends. Virgil and another dude from the hood, they was the biggest drug dealers. These was my two best friends, and they was the biggest drug dealers. And they always wanted me. Like, yo, I'm telling you. I remember coming from junior high school when crack first started. No, mm. high, uh, elementary school, my sixth grade year. And Virgil had a, a vial of crack. He's like, yo, this is going to get us rich. And I'm like, what the f- I'm like, I'm telling you. Next thing I know, they was, they had the block on smash. They was... Ryan Carr, and they were like, yo, come with I was like, nah, I'm Just not doing it. Just a crack first hit in the and it was like, and, they, and I was so good in basketball at first, they didn't want me to do it. Like, both of them would be like, nah, I don't want you out here. And I never was trying to because I wanted to stay away. So they would come give me three, four hundred dollars. Like, here, you good. What you need? Here, you good. We don't want you on the block. Like, I was that person that they figured, yo, he was really good in ball. He could do it. Right. Like, he really could do it. So, you know, a lot, of, for us. a lot of my, my brothers tried to keep me out of the streets. But, you know... And when I got like 18, 19 years old, things got a little more hectic. You know, your little two, three hundred dollars ain't. I, I, need I need mine. You know, what I'm I need mines. You know, and then I um, started going out of town, hustling out of town, Charlottesville. I remember North Carolina. Yeah, you know, I remember we used to go out there and hustle and bring work. I remember the first time I went out there, we sold a half a brick in less than an hour. Wow, and we broke it down. Damn. This was the scariest I ever seen. Y'all bust down a half a half brick. Half a brick. In a how long is that? In one hour. Jeez. I never seen So we was going, I went back about two times, and I remember I tell a story at a time. A fiend came to me. It's a lady. So I was in the back of the house, and so she came up to me. She was like, You got it. And she was like, 
And I was like, yeah, I got through. She's like, what are you doing out here? And she was looking around. I'm like, what you mean, what am I doing out here? I'm like, are you trying to cop? What, like, what's going on? She's like, what are you doing out here? I'm like, miss, what are you talking about? She's like, you don't belong out here. Wow. She's like, you don't belong here. She said, go home. She said, don't come back here. This lady looked me dead in my face and said, don't come back here. Mm. And what, what was your feeling then? I was, and I always would, I take signs. Like, I'm not a person that ignored the signs, like, whatever, I ain't listen. She said that, I didn't go back. Mm. Never went back there. One of the dudes that I know, God bless it, then my man got killed in that town. Another one of them got life. You know, like, and I sit there and think, like, this lady told me, looked at me and said, you don't belong here. Like, out of nowhere, like, she like she was an angel, like, literally, like, she was a guardian angel and said, you don't belong here. Mm. You know, and, and I said, I, and I'll never forget it. Oh, God, be working. I On said, our behalf. I said, I'm not going back. That's not, I'm never doing that again. Mm. All right. So, man, we got to get into how the rap career started, what happens next, and the growth of my song, New York's General. Um, we're going to do that on part two. We done got you guys um, hopefully warmed up. Yeah, this is my brother, man. Appreciate you coming to the trap. Listen, yeah. hey, family, y'all just witnessed a real interview with a real man and the two real men in the trap. In the trap. Make sure you guys subscribe to the podcast and stay tuned. For part two. Part two. With my song, The General, Jay Morrison, How to Beat the Trap in Real Life. Hey, Peace Family, Real Estate Pioneer, Jay Morrison, coming to you live from the Black House. Uh, why haven't you got your first of its kind video textbook, excuse me, interactive video textbook experience, the 12-step real estate crash course? This book will make you a real estate power player in real life with over six and a half hours of video lessons with 290 pages of real workbook experiences, tests, quizzes, assessments that give you the skill set, mindset, and formulas needed to dominate in real estate and be a power player in any part of the industry in real life. Homeowner, realtor, wholesale, landlord, flipper, developer, don't matter. You need this book. Your family needs this book. Go tap in. Click the link right now for your, for your interactive, first of its kind, video textbook experience in real life. Tap in. 12stepvideotextbook.com.